turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We are moving right along in our study of Ephesians. We have worked through um, the opening section, verses 3 through 14, where Paul is pouring his heart out in praise to God for the fact that he's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we're now working through verses 15 through 23, where Paul has shifted from praising God, he is now praying to God, or he is at least telling us the content of what he has prayed to God for the Ephesian church's growth and maturity. So I will again read Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 21. Again, we will not cover all of it today, but keep moving through this section. Follow as I read. This is the Word of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. Amen. So uh, the first thing we did in this section is we simply focused on the fact that Paul prayed. The amazing Apostle Paul. No one has been used by God more significantly in building the church since the beginning of the church. He was the most brilliant of theological minds. He was a powerful preacher. He was an author of many of the New Testament books of the Bible. Yet Paul knew that he could labor all he wanted. He could be as bold as he wanted. He could be as faithful to the truth as possible. But even with all of that, only God could give the growth. We plant, we water, but only God can give growth. So um, we said that prayer is essential to not only our own growth and maturity, but also in seeking the growth and maturity of others around us, uh, our spouse, our children, our friends, our family, our coworkers, whoever it is that God has put on our heart that we desire to see grow in Christ, our prayers are a significant part of that. Uh, yes, God has already gifted us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, but these blessings have not yet been fully appropriated to us. We must grow and mature into who God has made us to be. And only God can give the growth. So we can learn a lot from the simple fact that Paul prayed. Uh, Last week, we also began to look at what Paul prayed. And the first thing I said to you is that you don't need to change a thing. This is the Word of God. The content of Paul's prayer for growth and maturity of the church at Ephesus provides us with Holy Spirit-inspired instruction for praying for our own growth and, and for the growth and maturity of others. So lesson number one, learning from what Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.15 and following, simply pray the prayers of Scripture right along with them. 
That said, we also want to do a bit of unpacking the pieces of what Paul prayed uh, so that we can understand, better understand the truth and the weight and the depth of, of what we're praying. So, last week we started to unpack the specifics of Paul's prayer. Uh, first, if you look at verses 17 or in the beginning of 18, he asks that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, enlightening the eyes of our hearts. So what Paul is asking is that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of all wisdom and revelation from God. The Holy Spirit is the one that enlightens the eyes of our hearts. And again, the heart is talking about the center of who we are, the core of our being. It's the seat of all of our emotions and affections and desires. It's the motor of our mind and our will uh, that drives our decision-making and choices and all of that. So when Paul is asking that we be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, he's asking that we would be filled with more of a fullness of the Holy Spirit in order that He might further illumine our mind and our will and our feelings and our desires, that our mind would be more in tune, that our will would be more engaged, that our feelings and desires would be more affected, all for the singular purpose of knowing God. If you look at the verse, it says, Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, in the knowledge of God. He's asking that we would be filled with the Spirit so that we would better know God. So what I left you with last week um, was this. When we ask to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation from God, we're not going to get more wisdom and revelation from God apart from His Word. When we ask for more wisdom and more revelation from God, we should expect that He's going to give us more wisdom and revelation from the wisdom and revelation that He wrote down for us in the Scriptures course, authored by the Spirit of all wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit. So you get more wisdom and revelation from God as He fills you with His Spirit, further engaging your mind and your will and your desires and emotions with Him in the truth of His Word. Look at what Paul prays throughout the rest of his prayer. He prays that we would be filled with the Spirit to better know God, and then he gets more specific. Look at the second half of verse 18. There are three things that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, that you may know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. So I want to look at the first two this week, and we'll we'll look at the third one about knowing God's power toward us uh, next week. But as we get into more of the specifics of, of Paul's prayer, I want to point something out to you. So... The foundational aspect of Paul's prayer is the filling of the Spirit. Without God the Holy Spirit enlightening the eyes of our hearts and giving us wisdom and revelation that we do not possess in and of ourselves, we can't know God any better. So that's the foundational aspect of what he's praying. Um, But all of the rest of the prayer involves knowing God better. What I want you to notice is, is that the things that Paul is asking that these Christians might know, to know the hope that we have and the riches of the inheritance that we have, Paul isn't just pulling these things out of thin air. These are the things that he has spelled out to them in the previous section of the letter. He's praying that God the Holy Spirit would fill His people 
that He would activate our hearts to better know and understand Him. And then when He gets more specific about that, the things He is asking that we would better know are the very things that He just spelled out in verses 3 through 14. The hope that we have, the riches of the inheritance we have, so on. These are the things that are in verses 3 through 14. The, the point is, what Paul has just given them is the truth of God's Word. You may think, well, did they have it in the Scriptures yet? No, but just as an aside, what makes it God's Word is not the canonization process, which is a big word for when they put the Scriptures together some hundred years, couple hundred years later. It, that's not what made it God's Word. What made it God's Word was the authority of the Holy Spirit writing it or speaking it through the Apostle Paul. So it was God's Word as soon as it came out onto the paper when, when he sent the letter initially to the Ephesians. Now men came later and compiled all of this. The point is, what he wrote in 3-14 through 14 was God's inspired Word written by the Holy Spirit even when he first wrote it. Okay. Knowing that, and knowing that his... Uh, or um, Paul's prayer for wisdom and revelation and knowing God is that God would take the truth of what he just wrote and that He would light it on fire in their hearts. That He would take the truth of His Word, and that He would light it on fire in our hearts. He's asking God to, as He would say in Colossians, He's asking God to establish His people in the truth. That we would know the truth of God's blessing in Christ. That we would better know God. So what does it mean to better know God? Um, what does it mean to better know the hope that we have in Christ? To better know the, the riches of the inheritance that we have in Christ. Turn to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 4. Some of you will remember thinking about these things in, towards the close of our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you weren't around here then, and that's cool. But um, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount... <laughs> Really? It's fine. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you, it's familiar to many of you, but Jesus says, Many will come to me on that day, on the day of judgment, and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, I will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Of course, it's an interesting statement because Jesus obviously knows who these people are. Um, he, he knows how many hairs are on their head, he knows every thought. That's in their mind. So what does it mean that he never knew them? It's the same idea that we're getting here in Ephesians 1 where Paul is praying for God to fill us with the Spirit that we might better know God and know the blessings that He has blessed us with. And we can learn what that means back in Genesis 4. So look at um, Genesis 4.1. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Look at verse 25, chapter 4. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. Other places in the Bible communicating the same thing would say that he went into her and conceived. You get the picture. For a man to know his wife is obviously a very intimate thing. Two become one. He goes into her. Likewise, 
To know God is a very intimate thing. Him in us, us in Him. So when Jesus says that many will come to Him on that day and will be told to to depart because He never knew them, the, the thing that He points out is that they're appealing to all the things that they have done in His name. Look, we prophesied in Your name and we healed people in Your name and we did all this stuff in Your name. But He says, depart from Me, I never knew You. You were never in Me, I was never in You. That's what He means. And in Ephesians 1, when Paul is asking that we might be filled with the Spirit for wisdom and revelation in knowing God, that we might better know the hope that we have in Christ, that we might better know the riches of the inheritance that we have in Christ, Paul is asking that the Spirit of God would come into us and bring us further into Christ, that He would make us one with the truth of the hope that we have in Christ that He would make us one with the reality of our inheritance in Christ. So our hope in Christ and and our inheritance in Christ, these are our new realities. But we don't always live in light of our reality, do we? Paul is asking that we would become intimately intertwined with God and with the truth of the reality of the blessings that we have from Him in Christ. That He would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we would always be thinking in terms of the hope that we have uh, and that we would always be living in light of the hope that we have. And again, the hope is spelled out just before this in verses 3-14. through God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He redeemed us in Christ. He adopted us into His family in Christ. And He saved us for glory to be with Him for all eternity. He will never let us go. He has given us His Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance, a guarantee that we will be with Him for all eternity. But our inheritance with Christ is in heaven. We are not yet home. We live in the in-between. And the world can tend to influence our thinking and our living more than the hope that we have and the inheritance that we have. In Christ, Paul is simply praying that this would not be so. He is praying that God would so intimately connect us with Him and with the truth of our new reality in Christ that we would see and think and live and breathe in light of the truth of who we are in Christ. So, let's piece it together. You can't know God apart from His Word, but you can know God's Word without truly knowing God. You can't have a relationship with Jesus without His Word. The only way we know the truth of who Jesus is is because He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. You know, I've said this before, but I've been told on more than one occasion, doctrine divides. We don't want any of that doctrine stuff. We just want Jesus. Well, doctrine is simply another way of saying this is what the Bible says is true. Doctrine is just a truth statement. God has revealed Himself to us via truth statements. You can't know God without doctrine. And and you can't grow in knowing God without doctrine. In Ephesians 1, Paul is praying for God's people's growth and maturity, and his prayer is that God would take us more deeply into the truth that has just been revealed to us. That He would take the truth more deeply into us. 
You can't know God apart from the truth of His Word. However, you can know God's Word without truly knowing God. Um, In his opening sermon of the series that he's going through right now, uh, Matthew 13 to 16, one of Dr. Young's closing remarks was, we don't just need more God information, we need more God intimacy. Now, you can't get that apart from God information, but we don't just need the information, we also need the intimacy. The Pharisees were probably the the biggest antagonists of Jesus' life and ministry. The Pharisees had a lot of information, but their hearts were far from Him. Jesus said it Himself, your hearts are far from Me. To know God at all, to know the hope that we have in Christ at all, we must become one with Him, um, Him and us, us and Him. And to grow and mature in Christ, the prayer is that God the Holy Spirit would activate our minds and wills and desires and emotions to further engage with Him. That the truth would become more part of us, uh, that, that His truth would take us over, and that we would think and breathe, and live, and move, and have our being in Him and His ways. So, a couple applications here. Number one, I'm sure that there are those in here who uh, are learning more about the things of God, but whose hearts remain far from Him. You may know some things conceptually, but you refuse to engage your heart in the things that you're learning. This is not true knowledge of God. If that's you, it's not true knowledge. True knowledge of God shows up in your life. I remember when Dr. Young was preaching through Job, he highlighted Job 28.28, which says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. It's one thing to understand God's grace conceptually. It's completely another thing to live it. Grace changes you. Grace truly received changes you. So um, I've been in a situation this week that's very sobering. And it's about this very thing. Someone who knows a lot of things conceptually. Someone who could teach this class, and many of you would leave thinking, that's pretty good. But this person's heart remains far from God. There is not true knowledge of God because a true knowledge of God shows up in your life, fearing God, turning away from evil, walking in His ways. Number two, we're all capable of growing cold toward the things of God. For the Christian, we're all capable of growing cold toward the things of God. So maybe there is a true knowledge somewhere hidden in there, um, But even those of us who are truly alive in Christ, and maybe that's what's happened in this other situation, but we're all capable of becoming calloused in our hearts, of growing cold toward the things of God. If left to our own devices, we're in big trouble. Thus, the prayer, Lord, fill us with Your Spirit. Activate our minds and our wills and our emotions and our desires to better know You. So that we won't only think true things, but that we will also walk in the way of truth, and that we would even love doing so. 
Might the hope that we have in Christ be so real to us that we view everything in our lives and everything in the world around us in light of it? Might we be so intimately intertwined with our hope in Christ that we don't lose hope in this crazy, sometimes cruel world? Might the riches of our inheritance in Christ be so real to us that we refuse to be dragged away by the deceitfulness of the riches of this world. That we see clearly the weightless futility of what this world has to offer us. That we refuse to lay up our treasure on earth. Might the love of God for us in Christ be so overwhelming so real to us that we reject all of the cheap, false loves that can seem so appealing to all of us, every last one of us, on the surface. God, have mercy. Pour out Your Spirit that we might better know You. That we might better know the hope and the inheritance that we have in Christ. That is the weight of what Paul is praying. Let, let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we pray right along with him. Every last one of us, though we are in Christ, can grow cold to you and your ways, can become calloused with sin, temptation. Lord, we need your spirit. We need You to fill us with Your Spirit. We need You to activate our minds and our wills and our emotions and our desires. We need a fresh filling of Your Holy Spirit that we might better know You, that we might better be intimately connected with You, Lord. That we might better intimately know the hope that we have in Christ so that we would not lose hope. That we might better intimately know the riches of the inheritance that we have in Christ so that we would not be dragged away by the deceitfulness of the riches of this world. They are deceiving. They are appealing to our sinful nature. And um, God, we just pray that you would give us grace, that you would pour out your spirit and lead us in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We have a little time for anyone with questions and or comments. Chris, you uh, in our group Tuesday morning, you talked about the way God works and, and teaches us things, and you talked about pain being a key component to how God works. When you would say that we do become callous and all those things, it's it. I mean, would you say that's when God can sometimes bring? pain into our I mean obviously even if we're walking with God God pain can still happen but I was just I thought that was a good point made Tuesday morning yeah well one of the ways I mean it's I hesitate to say I know what God's doing when he afflicts any one of his children there are various reasons there are various you know one of the ways that he can certainly I think it's a kindness from God if we're walking away from him and he hurts us to bring us back to him now, that's not to say that everyone who is hurting is walking away from him 
You know what I mean? So you have to be careful in answering that. But yeah, hurt pain is certainly. Um, and another thing that I, I wanted to say is that I said that God gives us wisdom and revelation by filling us with the Spirit in conjunction with His Word. That doesn't mean that every time you pray that you need to get out the, the Bible and kind of do a drop and flop and see what is God saying to me today. Um, you know, you pray for wisdom, you pray for Him to give you wisdom and revelation, but a lot of the prayers that you pray in that setting are on the fly. A lot of the prayers that I pray, I'm about to walk into a counseling setting or any kind of setting. Someone's hurting or whatever it is, and I'm teaching or whatever, and I know that if God doesn't show up, well, that's not good. You know, I don't have anything to offer these people, whoever it is. So, God, fill me with your spirit. Give me wisdom and revelation. Um, So sometimes that means, and one of the prayers that I pray regularly when I'm teaching is, God, if there are things um, not in my notes, would you bring them to mind in the moment so that I can say them? And, And that is God giving wisdom and revelation. The point is not that you always need to be um, opening it when you pray that. The point is that he'll never give wisdom and revelation that contradicts his word. He's, if it's coming from God and it's wisdom and revelation from God, it will be consistent with his word. And frankly, a lot of times, it's going to be him bringing something to mind that you have read or memorized or learned or studied or whatever. So that's what I mean by it being in conjunction with his word. Thus, the importance of sitting under his word in settings like this in settings like the sanctuary and own personal devotions because that's where we get the wisdom and revelation from God. The point is, wisdom and revelation from God is never going to contradict His Word. And it's not as much in here, but for me, when I was a brand new Christian, I got wrapped up in this whole world of, you know, I got a word from the Lord. God spoke to me. I got a word from the Lord. And uh, I think God is saying this. Well, God speaks through what He has spoken. He's not saying anything uh, that isn't in His Word. So He might be nudging you in your spirit to further walk in line with His Word. He might be bringing something <clears throat> to mind that you've learned, but He's not just giving you a word, you know, like additional revelation from what He's already given. It's all going to come under the authority of the Word. And uh, people get in a lot of trouble. Major denominations all over the world get in a lot of trouble because I got a word from the Lord. And Buddy steps up and he got a word from the Lord. I mean, a lot of Will's work that he's doing all over the world is trying to combat that. I got a word. No, we have the word. And God speaks to us through his word. Um, I hope that makes sense. It's hard to argue against that. What's that? I got a word from the Lord. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's a it's a conversation stopper. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. But the more that you understand this, the more that you can evaluate what anyone says. And you know, the interesting thing in the in the Bible it says false prophets they get to be wrong one time. And in the Old Testament, they were supposed to be killed. So, I mean, at least we could stop listening to them. You don't have to kill them, but just uh, you know, if they're wrong once. Once, one time, all these people with all these end times predictions and everything, all you have to do is be wrong once and you discredit them forever. That's why we around here like to stick so close. We only want to say what this says. And we want to work hard to understand what this says so we can say it faithfully. But I got a word from the Lord, you're wrong once, and eh, see you. Never again to be heard from. It's pretty interesting. Chris, um, I was just thinking about 
I was. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Conversations we had this week, and I think um, uh, it's a situation with the family of the church, and I, I saw in myself a desire to do it because I'm supposed to, but everything in me was callous, and I don't, I don't think that's an absence of Christ, but I think it was a, an awareness of something in my heart's got to change to not be callous towards this person because I'm <clears> at that point, and. I think God can even use that callousness, that stopping and going, this isn't the appropriate response to this person. And if you're only doing that out of guilt or manipulation, I need to be working even on myself. And I just thought about the, I think even the callousness exposes our sin. Mm-hmm. And I think callousness can be good when it's exposed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you see a weakness. If, if we get to see it, like you're saying, mm-hmm. and that's the thing, but you can become so hardened and callous by sin if you're walking in continual rebellion that you then become blind and uh it's not the same kind of blind obviously as not ever having seen but essentially i mean it functions the same so it doesn't mean that this person is no longer christian but it does mean that they're blind they've lost their eyesight and so what a kindness from god to bring that to mind and say yeah i'm calloused here and we pray this prayer god fill me with your spirit activate my desires because my desires are far from you right now but I, I want. That, way, and that makes me sad. For yeah. Me. Like I don't know. I guess my question maybe is like, callousness brings you to the foot of, of Christ. Like, yeah. Foot of, you know, exposing sin. But even then, it's only God that's going to change that <clears throat> again. So it's, I can't try harder to not be callous. No. You know, and um, I don't know if I'm making any sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say this. On the one hand, I would say if, if all you're doing is trying harder to not be callous, you're right. It's never going to change. Um, so be praying that God would activate your desires, grate away the callous, you know, which ain't going to feel good. But uh, also, one of the things, and I always go back to this passage in 1 Peter 1.22 that says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And so whatever it is that you know that God has clearly revealed in His Word, that is good and right and true and that we should be doing. Even when you're callous, walking, simply walking that direction, even in all of your callousness and mixed emotions and desires, there's something about walking that way that also gets the callous down. You know, So I think doing both, going that way, anyway, if I waited for my desires to be right, for, to do good works, I would never do one because my desires are never right. They're always a mixed bag. So I think we can all identify it, but also being praying this, because God, if, if I just do that, it's never going to be enough. I need your Spirit to affect change in me. I mean, He's given us new life, but there's still so much change to be had. Does that help? Good, good thoughts. Anyone else? Good talk. (laughs) We're done.